Okay, welcome back to the latest United podcast for another very special episode. It seems throughout lockdown, we've um, sort of the guests keep coming um, thicker and faster, which we're very privileged to have a, another special guest who doesn't need any introduction regarding in Manchester United circles, uh, Mr. Andy Mitten. How are you, mate? I'm fine, thanks. Nice to join you. Yeah, no, and also, obviously, very good to have Larry here. But um, besides that, Back on to Andy, and just to start off the podcast now, it is, is in the title, many of our listeners will know, the United Pubcast. Now, obviously, in 2020 and 2021, a lot of our podcasts have moved to Zoom and online calls, but it did originate in pubs. Now, the inspiration was, now we like to say we're the best Man United podcast, but if I'm being honest, I think the United We Stand podcast, we did draw huge inspiration from that over the years in terms of people just putting an iPhone just down in the middle of a pub after a match or on the bus, etc., to and from games. So, Andy, I just want to thank you. You're the inspiration behind this podcast. Cheers. Well, it's nice to know. I mean, our podcast has changed a lot in lockdown. And one of the things we wanted to do when we started it was, A, having a mixture of well-known guests and me use my contacts to get them, but also be at the matches, just... I think that raw emotion when you're walking out of an away end and you've seen a win or a defeat and you can start recording in the coach park after the game or immediately outside the, the ground, often they're the most effective ones. I'm sure there are some people who have regrets the following day, but I'd like to think that you know we're speaking to Man United fans, hardcore United fans, and that's, that's all that to stop with, with no games. The last game I went to with fans where I did a podcast was actually behind closed doors. It was Lask away, almost a year ago now in Austria. And I spoke to people who travelled even though they knew they were not going to get into the game. I may or may have not helped one person get into the game. And we nobody knew what was going to happen next. So, And I didn't know as a journalist with my own work... Um, with the podcast, we've reduced the number that, that we've done on them. We, we've, we've had guests. I've still been able to go to matches as a journalist. It's become very complicated. It's not the same at all. But I have been to a few games where there has been fans there, but no United fans. It's the, the only games where fans have been allowed this season uh, is um, Istanbul away. There are about 400. Um, West Ham away in the league and, and Everton away. And speaking to fans of those clubs was, wasn't really my thing. So we've had to change it. Um, you know, we have to try and offer insight. I try and my job as a journalist is to tell people something new. And we've always tried to do that in United We Stand. I like to think if you read United We Stand, you're going to find out stuff you, you've, you, you don't know before about Manchester United. And that's the hardest stuff to get, to break stories. And I work very hard to do that, to get nuggets of information or speak to people who maybe are not mainstream. So in the new United We Stand, there's a big interview with Neil Wood. Neil's the coach of the under-23s. He's not the coach of the first team. He's so interesting. He's got such a good backstory. And I think our readers, they'll go for that. They'll accept that. You know, they'll, 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 they'll hear this guy out and hear what he's got to say. And that's obviously in the printed... You know, we stand or we, we digitise it as well, rather than on the podcast. Because at some point, we, we, we I can't work for free. You know, we've got a you're setting up all these massive interviews, and I try and do them face to face. Even now, 
I'd love to put some of them in United We Stand there on the podcast for free, but that's not going to pay my flights. I've got to work as a proper journalist as well, if you like, and um, sell sell my work to uh, to pay a mortgage, <laughs> feed well, a family. What does like and just speaking of you know we stand and the fans, and we're going to discuss sort of the fan culture sort of around Old Trafford and Manchester United in a little bit. But just on that, it's almost part of the furniture at Old Trafford, the fanzine culture, and especially United We Stand. And obviously you do have a digital edition, but there's no hiding from the fact what has happened this year and sort of the hit you would have taken from not being able to sell outside the ground. So now, fingers crossed, fans return at some stage in the near future, but look, who knows what is going to happen. So what is like the future for the fanzine in terms of what are your sort of hopes and sort of feelings towards that? Well, we've managed to keep it going. That's a start. And we did that because we lost every single copy we sell outside the ground. And we sell in news agents as well in the UK. Um, we did sell in Australia about 15, 20 years ago, but it just wasn't worth worth our while um, sending the copies over. It just, just wasn't working out. And I, I was just honest with the readers. You know, I said, look, I can pause it. Uh, I've got plenty of other work on. I'm turning work down. And personally, I've done more and more TV stuff. But the readers wanted us to carry on. And they subscribed. We've, we hit record subscriptions pretty quickly. The subscription numbers have gone up and up and up. Um, most people prefer print. It's not always practical for people. Print, the, the postage costs outside of Europe are expensive. I've got readers in, in Australia, in, in Sydney, Brisbane, Perth, all over the place. And they patiently wait two or three weeks for them printed edition. And I say sometimes... You know, if you get the digital edition, it's instant and cheaper. No, 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 we love print. And great, I love it that they love print. So because everyone subscribed, we were actually okay for cash flow because we had money in the bank, which meant that we could carry on printing it and sending the mags out. We then hit a couple of further issues. The postal services slowed down with COVID because um, A, postal workers got ill. B, the number of flights going out of the UK was reduced dramatically. So then magazines were taking a lot longer to arrive in their destinations. And see, Brexit didn't help either. And then because there was a huge surge in in mail, and we felt that as well with our subscriptions, the Royal Mail decided to whack the prices up significantly. So we've, we've got to deal with all these things. I've always just been honest with the readers and said, look, you want us to carry on? We will do. We love doing it. We're genuinely independent. We can say exactly what we want. And, and if you don't, we won't. You know, I've got plenty of other stuff going on. And but I love doing United We Stand. I've done it since, me personally, since I've been 15. But have got a really good group of people around us, contributors. And maybe I feel more for the, you know, the lads who sell the magazine outside the ground. Because part of their life, there's a community there. You have your regular readers coming and speaking to you. And I know I go to games, I know so many people as, all right, mate. And it's, it's that real life interaction, which I think is really important. And you get to know the community of match going fans and, and fans who can't go to matches as well. I know people around the world who, who support, support United. And that's great in terms of, you know, if United draw a, a team in, in Milan, like they just have done, I can go to six or seven different people in that city to give us information and two of them will be journalists 
One of them might be a former ultra leader. And I think, well, you are perfectly united where you stand because you can tell us about the fan culture at AC Milan. And our readers like that. Now, if I look online, most people don't care about that. Most people don't care about the issues which affect a lot of United We Stand readers. And they're bothered about atmospheric matches. That's been a big issue. Ticket prices, which have risen and, and thankfully stopped rising. Um, ticket allocations for matches. You know, it, it's stuff, it's issues like that. It's prices of tickets for away matches when Spanish clubs try and charge you over 100 euros. And, and our readers care about stuff like that. They care about the community. They, you know, a lot of them are in, in Manchester itself. It's a big city. But I accept that for most people online, they don't give two shits about that. All they're bothered about is transfers. And that, that frustrates me at times. Well, that because... perfectly, absolutely perfectly sort of segues. We'll get into that transfer sort of discussion and sort of that topic of modern day football in a little bit. But you just mentioned there sort of match going fans and foreign fans. I just want to sort of get your opinion on, as someone who's seen United in Manchester and probably on every continent in the world, sort of interacted with fans all around the world. And a lot of our listeners and the members here of the Man United Supporters Club in Sydney, if we go to Old Trafford, yeah, technically we're a tourist. We're travelling from the other side of the world and it's our sort of one game a year. We'll be in the mega store, we'll buy a match day program, etc. and we'll be considered a tourist. However, I think a lot of us, and I can't speak for everyone, but a lot of people here almost have the same mentality as a match-going fan. We have that mentality, however, we're sort of classed as a foreign fan, which is completely correct, but it's just a weird sort of relationship and... There is a little bit of a tension, I feel. Now, it's weird because you can't sort of base it, the whole thing based on what you see online. But you see online, if you, don't go to, if you don't go to the games, you're not a real fan, and then those fans bite back, and it becomes this toxic atmosphere. And I just want your opinion, as someone who's witnessed United all around the world and understands the importance and the value of the match-going fan and sort of how they are sort of treated online. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and I've been in Sydney. I remember being in... Sydney in 99 and meeting United fans there who I didn't think were any difference to myself. Mixture of expats, people, local people, they all had the good story about why they support United. And I celebrate that. I think it's amazing when I travel around the world and I've been very lucky to see United in probably 45 countries and there's United fans there. And I can put a tweet out and say, I'm going to Iran to meet Carlos Quieros and 10 Man United fans will get in touch with me in mm -hmm. Tehran, which is brilliant. And I'll meet them. I'll meet them face to face. And it's wonderful. It's an education. Yeah. And I can learn from them. Clearly, they're going to ask me questions. All right, I'm fine with that. But I can learn. And this whole network around the world is amazing. And I've met some brilliant people. And I've had offers of United fans wherever I've travelled. Houston, Dublin, everywhere. And I think that the global support is something I personally have always been very proud of. And some of United's best supporters, and I'm on about you know, the hardcore got absolutely everywhere. They're from nowhere near Manchester. Hmm. And I can remember 30 years ago, someone writing a letter to United We Stand saying, I'm sick of out-of-town fans, it should be a Manchester club. And, and he got hammered for it. He got absolutely hammered. And the Cockney Reds from London, well, after a game, they don't have to just go back to their house. Like, like if I'm in Manchester, um, I'm, I'm making a five-minute journey. Uh, I've been with the Plymouth Reds from Devon, and, and then in the name of journalism, 
woke up at four o'clock in the morning to get a coach to come to Old Trafford with them. And I see people like yourselves coming to Old Trafford. I meet them in close to the ground before matches. Reds from South Africa, from Malaysia. And I think it's brilliant. There's definitely tension, what you're talking about. And and be, between the match goers and I wouldn't say non-match goers because I know people who who've been to a game, have experienced it. They're perfectly sensible people. I think there's a wave of fans, which all the super clubs have attracted, not just Manchester United. I've seen it very closely with Barcelona, who are just hungry for continued win every week, dominate every game, win everything. And if you don't, it's an absolute disaster. And it's a real problem. I saw Barcelona's manager hounded out of the club a year ago. A man who'd won the league in two of the previous seasons, but because he, the, the team had capitulated in the Champions League. And to a whole generation of online Barca fans who'd only been attracted to Guardiola's team, this just wasn't good enough and he had to go. Well, mm. unfortunately, that, that's not realistic. There's only one team can win the Champions League each year. Does that mean that the coaches of every other club and the owners of every other club should be should be sacked? And I think the demands um, at, at times, um, the, the mood is so different online to at matches. And, and I'm seeing both. I'm at the games and I think the fans at matches, they're pretty supportive. I think you speak, and I do speak, to people like David Moyes, Louis van Gaal, Josie Mourinho, Solskjaer. They felt real support in real life. And then you can go online and it's absolutely toxic. The abuse can be horrendous. And maybe there's reasons for that. Maybe it's because you are anonymous. You know, I'll get, if Man United lose matches, I'll get stick. And I look at some of the most pernicious stuff. They're anonymous. I'll say, look, come and meet me. I've got nothing to hide. Talk to me about whatever you like. The transfers, the fans, the Glazer ownership, anything you want, they never, ever, ever come. Well, just on that, again, another perfect segue, just the next topic is that online fan base. And again, online can be a match-going fan because you don't, who knows, it's anonymous. Now, let's, yeah, yeah. let's cast a wide net that it's probably a lot of sort of foreign fans and sort of non-match-goers out of a younger generation. Uh, I know people who go yeah. to every game who are absolute idiots online. Yeah, uh, I've no and doubt about to, that. To the point of like, I thought you were all right. Yeah. But, but on that, in terms of your opinion of sort of knowing what the club and the club values, obviously we understand and fully agree with the importance of the match going fan and how important they are, but we can't hide from the fact how important sort of the foreign fans are in regards to the financial side of the club, financial side of things. So just your opinion on how the club sees that. What voice do you think they almost find more important? Could you see 10,000, 15,000 empty seats at Old Trafford been more sort of hurtful to the club than sort of bad publicity online. Like that, that loud voice online, well, how do you weigh them up in terms of which one do you think the club sort of listens to more? I think the match goes. I think if there's 15,000 seats at a game, empty seats, that would look horrendous for the club. Mm. That would show that they've done something drastically wrong to lose 15,000 fans out of a stadium that's been full since 1992 for practically every single um, match. The global support is very important to the club. But for a long time, it was there and the club didn't know how to monetize it. So I would be going 
to places like Malaysia, Thailand, Hong Kong in the 90s to see United pre-season. And you'd see Man United shirts everywhere, but they're all fake. And you'd see the official club magazine, but they were all counterfeit copies. So the club weren't making any money out of it. They started to make money from television rights and through sponsorship. And I remember being in India in 2009, which is a club with big United support, and seeing an advert for a vodka brand with all Manchester United players on it. United were the English, European and world champions at the time. Oh, for those days. And I thought, that's really clever. So the club, rather than going and asking the guy on the street to spend a lot of money on a on a shirt, have gone to a big company in India and said, you give us a million dollars and you can use our image. And United had huge success doing that and also drawing up the globe geographically. So they might have a partner in Australia, New Zealand for car tyres, which I don't know about, but they can use the Man United um, logo or whatever. And every other club copied that. And I see every other club. I don't just write about Manchester United. I speak to executives at giants like Madrid and Barcelona. And they will say to me, your team is not the best anymore. But in terms of commercial, we're still chasing. And I think the... TV rights and the money that comes in from them has, has shown how important it is. And it now dwarfs the match day revenue. So on one, on one line, yeah, the club are absolutely going to listen to what goes on around the world. Uh, but I feel that at times the match going fans, they felt sidelined, they felt maligned. And, and even now, when kickoff times have changed, I came out of Sellers Park, where having seen Crystal Palace United two seasons ago, and the game had been moved for TV to a time where you couldn't get back to Manchester unless you left the game half an hour early. And I thought that's wrong, totally wrong. And I got on a train outside the ground into central London and it was full of hardcore Man United fans trying to get back to Manchester, having travelled five hours to London and I had to leave the game early to get back to Manchester. And I thought that that is wrong and I will always defend those those people. Now, to the 99% who aren't at the game, they don't give a shit about something like that. But to me, I do give a shit. Mm. And I think that the the two can... There's so much crossover between the two groups, so much agreement. I know makes of mine who live in Holland who are massive United fans, they might go one game a season. doesn't mean I think any more or less of them for that. They're so passionate about Manchester United. And... I think in the future, United are going to look at even more at the markets which are going to potentially bring revenue, India and China and the USA. So in the past 15 years, the club have toured extensively to to the United States. But they'll go where the money is, let's be blunt. You know, when Man United play in Australia and when they go to Perth, it's because Perth have just opened a new 60,000-seat stadium where if you sell 60,000 seats, suddenly you've got the revenue to bring Man United over. Hmm. They're not going to Darwin and playing in a 15,000-seat stadium. They're going where the money is. And it's it's it clearly commercial, but if you're going to buy the best players in the world, they need to be paid somehow. Hmm. 
that, that money has got to come in from from somewhere. So I think it's about getting a good balance, um, listening to the various constituents in the fan base, communicating absolutely with supporters clubs like yourselves around the world, with, with sensible people, because th- there'll be groups of people who will never be happy. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, we were getting letters to United We Stand in April 08, absolutely fuming with the team. You know, one month later, they won the European Cup and the league. So I also think that football is, a lot of people just pour the frustration out into it. Mm. You know, my dad was never happy with Man United. He was in Barcelona when they won the treble and he was fuming because he hadn't played well. <laughs> and my view was, but we've just won the treble. I don't give a shit. They didn't turn up last night. The world was watching. This is a disgrace. It wasn't a disgrace. Just won the treble. Can't play brilliantly in every game. But but people's personalities are different. And I think Twitter can be toxic. I think that an anonymity lends itself to bad human traits. And often when I am at the games and meeting people, absolutely fine. It's a joy. We stood, we'll stand outside uh, Old Trafford last year. I met a guy. Um, I mean, look, every game. I met a guy who originally come from Nepal and was living in San Francisco and had flown in for a game. Now let's keep apart the argument for carbon emissions there. But it was incredible. He'd, he'd flown in for like parties and Belgrade at home. And we meet people every game. If they want to come on our coaches, absolutely welcome. Doesn't matter where you where you're from. And I think United's fan base at its best can be really inclusive like that. And look at the flags at away matches. I think it's great when you see fans from everywhere. But at the, at the heart of it, Manchester United are also from Manchester. And you never, never forget that. Mm. You know, Manchester's a big city. And I think you've got to look after the community on your doorstep as well. I think United yeah. have been much better in engaging with the community on the doorstep in, in, in these pandemic times. No, I do agree with that. And it's been great to see the initiatives they've taken throughout COVID. We saw at times before the football had returned that Old Trafford was given up um, to support providing food and being a bit of space for the NHS. Um, You you touched on fan bases. And I want to say I I did, uh, I joined the Bandit bus um, in 2017. Uh, Johnny and yeah, some good lads out there had a a great time. We went to Swansea away when we won 4-0. Um, wild bus ride to say the least. Um, so, uh, Andy, you did touch on the the fans earlier and the split between online and these hardcore groups that have almost been created. Perhaps social media and what we see on YouTube has been a major part of that. And within that, there's been so much coverage on transfers rather than focusing the football on the pitch. Um, one that we did see unfold with yourself, um, I think it was with a uh, Komen from Bayern Munich. Yeah, where, yeah. You had, where you had simply just mentioned that there was some interest. That's it. And then I, I think um, we've, we've seen another YouTube channel had gotten a journalist on, ran with it, and then you've been attacked for it. Yeah. What do you make of the appetite, if you want to call it that, for transfers now rather than the interest in the football on the pitch? I, I think football fans around the world have always got excited about transfers, and I'm no different. And I can remember when the mediums were different, reading the back page of the Manchester Evening News as a kid and Man United against sign Brian Robson. Wow, the emotion that comes with that is fantastic. 
what's happened is it's become exaggerated to the point of obsession with some people. So you look at the replies to almost every Man United tweet, and it's and it could be like, we've just won the European Cup, we beat Liverpool 8-0 in the final. Yeah, but who are we signing next? There, there is an obsession. Now, a lot of these people, they, they're children. Fine, cut them some slack. They're excited. They want to see the team by players. But it's become an obsession. And I feel if United listened to the worst extremes of this, they'd have no players left within one month because the current players would be written off. And there's this constant demand for signings where the player comes, they're excited, and they get like one game before they're judged and damned. And I think the whole cycle just needs to slow down a little bit. In terms of me, the Kingsley Coleman story. So if I had to write that story again tomorrow, I'd do exactly the same. And I'll give you two examples from last last transfer window. Okay, I wrote about a kid called Facundo Palestre coming from Uruguay. I wrote that before anyone. My source was his manager, Diego Forlan. And Diego told me that he'd spoken to Oli Gunnar, and I'd spoke to Oli Gunnar as well, but I didn't put that in the original story because I knew it would attract, it would fan flames even more. I checked the story out with his agent. I checked the story out with the club and I wrote the story. So my free sources there are excellent. And he came. If he hadn't have come, I would have idiots saying, yeah, but you said he'd come. I've never said that. I wrote about a lad called Ahmad Traore. Google my name. Google the dates. I was writing about him in September. My source on it was A1. And I wrote United are absolutely interested in him. He might have come, he might not have come. As it happened, he did come. I wrote about a kid from Partizan Belgrade. So this, this is part of my job, the two negative parts of my job now. And a United fan I know in Macedonia, so it links back to what we said earlier. Great guy, never been to Old Trafford, can't get a visa. Philip loves United. When the Super Cup went to, to Skopje in 2007, was the best day of his life. I met him, met all his mates, great lads. He messaged me and said, Andy, partisan, everyone around partisan Belgrade are saying that Man United have signed this player. So because my mate asked me, I checked it out. I checked it out with the club. I spoke to three different people. I checked it out with a partisan Belgrade player I know. I checked it out with a former Manchester United player from Serbia, who you might be able to guess at. All five of them over the course of time said it's not true. I checked it out with the editor of the biggest sports newspaper in Serbia, who I'd met the previous year. And he said, this isn't true, and here's why it's not true. Now, I couldn't, I couldn't write this publicly. So I replied to my mate tweeting me, said, hi, mate, I hope you're okay. I've checked it out, and it's not true. I got slaughtered. I got absolutely slaughtered. Because... A transfer lad in Italy said it was happening because the player himself had put something on his Instagram and because the club president had said something. I got slaughtered. Now, I was right. He didn't come to United. 
went to City. He went to City two or three months later. And he was never coming to Manchester United. And the stuff went out on his Instagram, which he later deleted, because he wanted to join Man United. You know? That doesn't mean he's joining Man United. Hmm. His agent fanned the flames because he wanted him to join Man United because, believe it or not, he'd make money out of it. The journalists fanned the flames because she wanted a story which would get lots of lots of um, clicks. No, I think that's fascinating. I think every United I'm, fan I'm, needs to... I'm getting, like, I'm getting like threats because of this. <laughs> I'm getting people threatening me with violence because of this. Right? Yeah. And I'm fixed in. Right? And I had a day of horrendous abuse from mainly anonymous people calling themselves Man United fans. And all I have done <coughs> is help a mate out. I've not made one penny out of this. I've helped a mate out. And I'm, I wouldn't do it next time. Hmm. So when he joined City two and a half months later, did all those critics come back to me? Silence. Hmm. Absolute silence. And some of them had big followings. And they're like, there was a girl in Norway, delete this tweet before it goes viral. Mm. Why are they telling the truth? And, you know, that, that, that happens to me as a journalist. Yeah, look, um, I, I find it very worrying in terms of, as you say, that people with big accounts <laughs> and big platforms, they have such an influence. And, yeah, you look at that, people get... They're anonymous. They're anonymous. Ask, yeah. come and meet me in real life. They're in terms of there's such a powerful voice, some of these online accounts, and as you say, we've, we've talked about younger fans, and those younger fans are somewhat siding with those people, and that's how they're growing up. They're growing up supporting yeah. them. But that doesn't make it right. Yeah, it doesn't no. make it right. No, it's and completely the, wrong. The final point is King, Kingsley Coman. So I was told last June by a former Man United player, Coman, and I thought, well, I could easily write this but I can't be bothered with the grief that sometimes you get the transfer stories. Can't be bothered with it. And then he said again, Coleman. So I checked it out. Okay. Checked it out with the people who would be doing the deal. Said, yeah, absolutely. So I went then to Manchester United. I'm told by very reliable sources that you're interested in Kingsley Coleman and there has been contact. And Manchester United confirmed that. They're not going to lie to me, to be fair to them. So, yeah, it, it would be for a loan deal. So I then wrote the story. I've, I've triple sourced that story. Right? United are interested in Kingsley Coleman. And I knew the player was also interested, by the way. Can he come out and say that? No. Can he? He plays for Bayern Munich. And then ironically, in another strand of my work, I end up being sent to Lisbon to cover it for TV and speaking to Kingsley Coman after he scores the winning goal in the European Cup final. And to Ander Herrera, who swears live on TV mm. and says, um, football without fans is shit. Why does he swear to me? Because he trusts me. He knows me. He trusts me to tell me this. So I put that Kingsley Coman story out. And within 10 minutes, someone went to a journalist in, in Munich. And the journalist in Munich said, um, there's been no direct talks. There's never direct talks. 
That then comes back to me. You're lying. You're bullshitting. Pure anger. And I've done nothing that I wouldn't do again. And maybe just not write the story because you end up attracting absolute fuckwits. Look, I remember reading that story and thinking, just what you said was United have an interesting comment. And I was thinking, well, I completely agree. I, I'm sure, I'm positive Fulham have an interest in Cristiano Ronaldo. That's all it is. It was just an interest. Absolutely. You know, if I'm in your country and Margot Robbie walks past, I'd absolutely <laughs> have an interest in her. <laughs> Doesn't mean I'm going to date her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Now, what can also happen now, you've got a position with aggregator accounts. There's, there's hundreds of aggregator accounts. And so I say two weeks ago, so I'm in Seville to work for the Seville Dortmund game. And I know United are watching Jules Conde, among many other central defenders. We're watching him closely. I'd be worried if Manchester United were not watching players like him. Hmm. So I say this in context on, on a podcast. And... United are watching him, watched him extensively along with other players. The aggregator accounts chop off the final sentence. Hmm. Man United are watching Jules Kwonde, um and had scouts in Seville. Andy Mitten. And that, that's true. But just by chopping the final sentence off changes the concept. And you will get people... Who, if he signs, says nothing. And if he doesn't sign, yeah, but you said he'd sign. Hmm. No, I didn't. I said to watching him. And United are probably watching, at this moment, they've narrowed it down. There's probably 30 players now and being narrowed down all the time. So you've got to be very careful. Now, you've also got to cut your critics a bit of slack. Sometimes English will be a second language. But the news cycle can be, it can be completely weird. You can say something and pay, people pay no attention, and then a month later, you're repeating an article, Mitten says this. I said it six weeks ago. When we look at people like Fabrizio Romano, who gets things wrong a lot of the time, where he's almost got this opposite perspective of he can't do any wrong. Yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's so interesting how football fans, they see one thing, and whatever the first impression was, that's it all the way through till the day they die. But just with so, me there, and I'll sorry to interrupt, Andy, but I think we are running short on our Zoom time. Both Larry and I both have a free account, so we're running short on the Zoom. But just to wrap up, which I'm sure we completely agree, and I love the chat about sort of some of the stupidness behind transfer talk, but here we are on a podcast, and we're going to say, hey, you just um, reported some yeah, news yeah. on Paul Pogba lately. Just your thought, not so much on the inside sort of knowledge of what's going to go, happen, but just your thoughts as a fan close to those at Old Trafford. How do you think it plays out in terms of what's United's position towards Paul Pogba and also Paul Pogba's position towards United? How do you see... Let's say he signs a new contract. If fans return to the ground, how do you see that relationship panning out? Um, we've got about only two or three minutes probably left in the Zoom call, so hopefully you can give us what we want to hear. I'll use my two or three minutes as well as I can. Um, I think if the player's playing well, the fans will be fine with him. I think fans have been supportive towards him. They've been hugely frustrated at times with Pogba as well. He's probably underwhelmed on balance. There's times where he's absolutely wanted to leave the club. Um, Ollie's been good with him, not criticised him publicly. He's playing really well before his injury. What happens if you're playing well? You're happier. He's playing in a position that he was enjoying. And as I've said recently, absolutely amenable to talking about a new contract. 
And why wouldn't he be? You know, it's common sense. So there's a few factors here. Does he have the number of suitors that he had two or three years ago? No, he doesn't because he's not been this outstanding success. And also, United, United are among the top players in the world. David De Gea is the best paid goalkeeper in the world. So you know, I'll bring you back to the Margot Robbie example. Mm. <laughs> are you interested in me? Of course I am. And Paul Pogba is exactly the same. He's got to be thinking about where he's going to stay. Um, I think um, fans would be fine with him if he's playing well. They want him to do well. Fans can do a complete U-turn on players. They did it with Wayne Rooney in 2013. August the 6th, I couldn't find a United fan who stuck up for him. End of August, Swansea away, not the, not the trip you were on on the coach. Um, half the fans were singing his name. A month after that, all the fans were singing his name. So fans can be completely fickle as well. You mentioned, for, finally, Fabrizio Romano. He's a young lad who works very hard chasing transfers in Milan. And he's got a massive following, and that's absolutely fine. But he was one of them who clicked on that the guy from um, Serbia was going to Manchester United. And his legions of fans bought that. But as you said, he's not always right. And that was incorrect. And that brought me a whole lot of abuse. Yeah, but Fabrizio said he's coming. Well, he didn't come. He won Manchester City. And I'm sorry, I know Manchester United. I know the patch. I have my contacts. I know what I'm doing. Mm. I would put my name. I don't write half the stuff I get told because partly you can't be bothered with the grief that comes with it, especially if it ends up on Twitter where, you know, I like doing the in-depth stuff. I did a piece on the link with United and the local school where all the players go to. Really good in-depth story. Spoke to players, teachers, really interesting. Great feedback to it. But there'll be a load of people who do not give a shit about stuff like that. They only want to know who we're signing. And if you're not right and you don't tell me on the day that this player signed, you're an absolute fraud and a disgrace. That's the world, that's the world I've got to operate in. And it's bizarre, isn't it? Utterly, utterly bizarre. Andy, look, it sounds like you're copying some grief, mate. Look, if you want to hop over to Sydney, we're allowed in the pubs. We'll, we'll give you a couple of drinks to forget all about it. I came with my family to, to Sydney last year. Um, before United played in Perth and I've got a friend there Ash Westwood who was a football manager and his partner Mel McLaughlin thinks she does TV in, in Australia oh, yeah. and uh, I love the city I've been several times watched Manchester United play there when the Olympic Stadium held 110,000 we will be back I don't know when but it's a long it's a long long way to go to but my brother-in-law lives just south of Brisbane as well so um, I, know, I know there's a massive United support in in, in Australia and uh, maybe when we next do this we can do it in a pub in uh, in Sydney I can share those sentiments Andy it looks like we do actually have unlimited time so I might just have one quick question I'm conscious you do have a day to get to um, just a quick wrap up on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer um, yeah. I mean look the commentary has been done to death I mean me and Tom have been advocates of him we think he's done a fantastic job it's funny how and we covered it just a few days ago he put us in this position where we were top of the league for a month and now it's like any loss is seen as a stick to beat him with for it. Um, what do you, what are your views on one, the culture shift? Because as much as we've seen some journalists who I will not name criticize um, Solskjaer and Woodward for the supposed culture shift, you have to say it has been a positive one for Manchester United in terms of the recruitment, the style of football we're playing um, something as small as wearing uh, suits again, uh, for a match day, 
what have you made of the culture shift and the job he's doing overall? I think he's doing a, a good job. Sometimes you've got to do a great job. Long term at Manchester United. He needs trophies. He needs a trophy. Uh, I think he the mood is absolutely lifted at the club. I speak to people at the club. Players, staff, coaches. As we speak today, United are second in the league, still in the FA Cup. Um, got knocked out of another semi-final in the League Cup, frustratingly so, by a Manchester City team who are clearly superior. I think City running away with the league adds to the frustration of United fans. How can any team compete with a team that's owned effectively by a state, as PSG are, as Manchester City are? How can anyone compete with that? Mm. You know, And I'm not an advocate of the Glazers. I don't like that model either. You know, that in-debt, that takeover should never have been allowed to happen, that highly leveraged takeover, which happened at United. So maybe we'll talk about football ownership another time. I think Ollie's a, is an honest person. I think he's got a good eye for a player. I think his recruitment has largely been good. I think Bruno Fernandes has been his best signing. I think he's got a tough job this year. United will not be going out and buying three absolute star players because United will be struggling with the COVID economics like every other club. Although, because United are in a more advantageous position, they might take advantage of clubs who are struggling more. I think we've seen more goals. We've seen a lot of good games. We've seen some frustratingly bad games. The season started badly because there'd been no pre-season. The record against the, the big six is, is poor. It's not good enough. Let's be, let's be honest, you know, we can praise and criticise him. We can critique him. He's paid a huge amount of money to do a job and people like me are allowed to give him opinions. I've also got to say the same thing to his face and would do. Mm. And he can't always say what he's really thinking publicly. He can't say this player had been left to rot and I've put so much work in and now we're seeing the results because that's an implication on people who've been before him. But I think he's, um, he's doing a decent job. I think second place finish. There's niggles at the moment. You're right. You know, you think of the high of the Liverpool Cup win six weeks ago. And then that Sheffield United result was horrendous. West Brom was probably even worse because you get three results like Sheffield United. And then this inability to beat top teams. That's got to change at some point. If we're talking here in two years' time and United are still not beating the top teams and we've got a problem here. Ironically, last season, United did beat the top teams. Now, I'm saying this ahead of a game at Manchester City. The way City are playing at the moment, exactly. Well, Your if there's reaction. one team they're going to lose to, I remember when they were 2-0 up a couple of years ago on the verge of winning yeah, the title. If there's one team that's going to blow that. So if there's one team that is going to take that record, I'd hope it's United. I know I was there last season and for both the games, both the wins. And the, the win in December, where Oli told me it was, it was his best performance. Mm. And I was in a City section because I was working as a journalist getting there I'm going to get it's just brilliant this is what we want to see and I know the frustrated fans want to see that as well just impossible all the time it's impossible at any club all the time but on balance United shouldn't be going out the Champions League in the group stage so I think criticism after that Red Bull defeat was very valid it wasn't good enough nowhere near I won't say it can handle going out to a better Manchester City team but you know you've been beaten by a better team why are they better? All right, it's easy for me to say they've got untold wealth, but they've also recruited far smarter than Manchester United. United's recruitment was poor after Ferguson, and they were rightly criticised for that. 
And that's why I interviewed Ed Woodward and put tough questions to him and would ask him exactly the same questions now. And our readers got that. But some people are like, how dare you speak to him? Why didn't you assault him? I'm a journalist. (laughs) What do you want me to do? Do you just want me to interview people you like? Because that's really dangerous for journalism and democracy. I think that's part of I think a lot of the journalists that look at these big Twitter accounts, this big YouTube sort of phenomenon, they they only want the news that makes them happy and that is transfer news and only the correct transfer not even correct transfer news transfer news that results in what they want that is good news to them unfortunately in the world not every bit of news is good news Hmm. in in sport in life in politics you know unfortunately in football players get injured players get sold there's bad news to be delivered as well what do you want me to do as a journalist just tell you good things that's not realistic it's not fair it's the it's 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 a dangerous thing for society. Transfers break down. Players change their minds. You know, Ronaldinho was coming to Manchester United to the mm. point that he told Cleberson to move to Manchester because he was definitely going. Now, if I would have got that information at the time, I would have gone with that because my sources would have been good. But he changed his mind. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, imagine you would have been destroyed yeah. over something like that in the time before social media. Well, I think that is a good time. You end up holding back, which is a shame. You end up being more reluctant, which is a shame. You end up finding solace with the people you know and trust uh, at the games where people have got to interact with you face-to-face and and wouldn't dare abuse you like they might do anonymously online. So that creates that whole environment that that we're talking about. It's quite interesting. Yeah, no, definitely. Quite worrying. Yeah, it is scary, like a lot of the world at the moment. But um, fingers crossed, we can return to um, some type of normality, which we seem to say every podcast now. But um, yeah, Australia yeah. is looking quite well in regards to COVID. Fingers crossed, UK turn a corner soon. But it obviously yeah. is. We are recording about twelve hours before the Palace match, so it is match day where Andy is. So we will let him continue on with his day, and we do truly appreciate um, him taking the time for this podcast. And as, again, the podcast Larry and I like to do are these ones a little bit. Okay, it's good talking about a game. But sometimes there are sort of more interesting and more in-depth and sort of, I think, overall more important issues to discuss. So it was an absolute pleasure getting Andy Mitten on. And just want to say also on behalf of the Supporters Club here in Sydney, just keep up the good work. We truly appreciate it. As you say, there's a lot of subscribers here to United. We stand on the digital edition. Look, this is an audio podcast. I would move my webcam, but I've still got a box just down here of old um, United We Stand fanzines, the printed Brilliant. version. But um Again, and, just... and I appreciate the support. You know, in 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 July 2019, I was in Perth and I met loads of Reds who'd come across from New South Wales. Mm. And it was at a time where I was getting a lot of stick because, you know, I hadn't delivered news that people wanted to hear. Mm. And I remember getting a lot of support in real life from Reds who'd come over from New South Wales. Uh, I went to a bar in Perth and I met them all. Yeah, that Friday night, I was there. I remember that. Good night. And I I appreciated that. No, truly appreciate it. And again, a little bit of a longer podcast today, but hopefully everyone enjoyed it. Now, as I say, Larry and I are off to bed. Got to set the alarm for a 7 a.m. kickoff tomorrow. And we'll have maybe a part two on this podcast. Hopefully, it is just a routine 2-0 win, and we can just give a quick who our 3-2-1s are for the man of the match. And um, again, an absolute pleasure, Andy. And... Larry as well. I'll chat to you tomorrow. And Andy, have a very good day, mate. Cheers, lads. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, A pleasure. Anytime. So join us for part two after the break.
Okay, welcome back to part two. Thank you very much for staying with us. And um, before we get into the Crystal Palace match, um, Larry, long time no speak. Um, what do you think of the chat with Andy Mitten last night? It was fantastic, Tom. I mean, every football fan talks about the game, the players, transfers. With Andy, we got to go a little bit beyond that. Um, talking about the fan behind the camera and the fan who talks about transfers and the football match and the differing in opinions and it's an interesting dynamic and an interesting time to be a Manchester United fan because the fan base has never been more divided. Um, you know, when you talk about Oli, you talk about even our star players. Some people think Harry Maguire's captain material. Some think he's utter rubbish. Same with Rashford, same with Martial. So it was a little bit um, interesting, I'd say, just to, you know, go beyond that. And Andy's line of work, you know, understanding how journalism and football journalism and the, the risks that come with that. Um, I thought it was a really good chat. Yeah, no, I loved it. And um, yeah, we'll definitely try and get him on um, sometime in the near future to discuss something like that again, regardless, not just the basic football talk or transfer talk, but maybe something like a topic which sort of is a little bit more in-depth and a little bit more important to such things that like the fan base. But um, there's no hiding from it. This That chat with Andy Benton was recorded before the Crystal Palace match. This is now after. That was bad. I know we lost the match in Turkey we lost at the start of the season of the Champions League against that Istanbul team and I remember Sheffield United a few weeks ago. That was bad. This result is a point. Okay, so technically that's better. But I thought the performance it just maybe it's fresh in my memory, but I thought it was the worst performance of the season. First half was actually not too bad. I thought we were making opportunities, dominating the ball, Matic particularly much more forward thinking in the way he was progressing the football. Half chances, but something's missing, Tom. And I think that what's missing is Paul Pogba. We're really struggling to create clear-cut opportunities without him in that midfield. Yeah, no, definitely, no doubt. I think it always comes down to when we do have a lacklustre performance like that and lack a little bit of quality. It comes back to a very simple argument of, and I know he divides opinion and his output and contribution is up for debate, which sort of clouds this sort of argument. But if you don't have your best player you're going to struggle. And Paul Pogba is our best footballer. So when he doesn't play, the sort of limitations are exposed. I'm not going to take a two-footed lunge at him because he's been brilliant for United. But look, I think take the United performance. I don't know if it was the worst of the season, but I think that was Bruno's worst performance in a Manchester United shirt. The Ooh. touch, everything. Mate, nothing came off for him. Nothing. Yeah, a lot of games, nothing does come off. Um, I, I, I think he's played worse. But the, the thing in saying that, I think he's played worse, but he scored two goals in those games or something. So it's a hard one. But um, is there anything on the actual game that you want to discuss? Because we do want to gloss over this. Everyone just listen to the chat with Andy. We want to wrap this up quite quickly. But before we get into three two ones, is there anything sort of happened in the game that sort of caught your attention you want to chat about? Not really. I think the most exciting thing was the argument between Harry Maguire and Marcus Rashford that everyone's blowing up about, but I'm sure it happens 10 times a football game. So, Yeah, I think that's the thing. And I've seen so many big articles and sort of a lot of attention around. I just think, God, have you ever been to a training ground on a football ground? It's This is standard. I'd expect that. That probably happens 100 times a game. Just the cameras picked it up. Wow. I think nothing. What I do want to talk about is, is Fred, mate. Uh, uh, look, someone check his there's passport. There's many people you can blame, but mate, he's... He's not Brazilian. I, I don't know what he is, but he's, he's not a Manchester United caliber footballer. That was the game. And look, I don't want to lay into him too much, but I remember 
I don't know if it was this time last year or not. It was probably a little bit before. It was the Newcastle game last season. The Newcastle game when I said I was done with Fred. And then he sort of turned it around. And, and I still like Fred. But he turned it around. He got back into a little bit of form. And um, rightly so. Because he, he deserved it. I thought he's been fantastic in terms of the energy he brings to the game. But yeah, he's not a footballer for Manchester United. I just think there's so many times he gets the ball. And you again, it's very easy watching on TV. But sometimes, he just every decision he makes is wrong, especially without the ball. Sometimes you think, don't foul him, don't foul him, don't foul him. Fred comes in, foul. Um, I just think his intelligence, and I think in games like that where you lack that creativity, you just have to look at it and think, you need smarter players. And that is where we've got our downfall. You look at it, you think, Juan Bissaka is probably not the smartest player. Luke Shaw is very good. Would you call him the most intelligent footballer? Probably not. No. Eric Bay is fantastic to watch. Is he an intelligent footballer? God, no. Um, Paul Pogba is very intelligent Emmanuel Matic is very important um, very intelligent but other than that Scott McTominay good player you wouldn't class him as an intelligent footballer Fred definitely not uh, Marcus Rashford great attributes <laughs> he's, I don't want to go too harsh on him I think he's a stupid footballer and, and it works to his advantage sometimes when, when he plays off the cuff he's brilliant same with Daniel James but I think just in their football intelligence we need smarter footballers mm-hmm. Um, then you go the opposite end. Yeah, Vedasan Cavani, who is intelligent. You see the movements he makes, creates space for himself. Well, I tell you who but we missed today. And really... look, we discussed Paul Pogba. And look, the comparisons will always be there. But I look at it, and even, we, even out of form, I think we missed Anthony Martial today. Just in regards to something different, just in terms of playing a team game. Everyone up front was almost playing their own game. I think Martial, just to link it, even if he was going to do the wrong, make a mistake in his execution... He was he would be doing the right things regarding the team. Every time the ball went to Marcus Rashford, it was Crystal Palace against Marcus Rashford. It was it was the Marcus Rashford show. And look, I do love him, but he just plays off the cuff in an individual way, and that's not what was needed today. You needed a team performance, and we're lacking. Yeah, I got to be honest. It was these sorts of games where you actually notice the players who aren't there. I think you put Paul Pogba and Anthony Martial in that side. It's different. I know Martial's had his issues this season, and it's not an excuse. He's had a poor season, and there's no escaping that. But what you can say about Anthony Martial is he is an intelligent footballer. He knows what's happening around him. He, he plays the ball well, links up well. Yeah, it, it's disappointing, Tom. And I think where we were getting saved last season is if Bruno didn't score, Martial chipped in. If Martial didn't score, Rashford chipped in. Now, it's if it's not Bruno or Rashford, there's honestly not much left. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, unfortunately, it's time to get out the shovel and um, scrape the bottom of the barrel for some 3-2-1s. And look, as bad as it was, there were some 7 out of 10 performances, some decent little performances in there. I think there's three names. I'm not sure. Um, We'll discuss it during the day. I assume this will be pretty straightforward for us. I'm not sure of the order, but the three names for me are Matic, um, Dean Henderson, and Luke Shaw. Yeah, 100% agree. Uh, I thought clear and clear as day. Our three best players. Um, I've seen people saying Bay's had a good game and oh, Eric yeah, Bay. Kept I'll, I'll tell you what, what he does on the ball. Lit, mate, I'm Lindelof over Bay now. I'm done. It's Lindelof over Bay. It has to be. You think so? Uh, I think it has to be because Bay is just. And look, we've kept a clean sheet, so I sound like an idiot. We've kept a clean sheet, so he has done what. Well, but what he does on the ball is just. You, you, you cast him one back to when we dropped Lindelof and put Eric Bay in against Tottenham. Yes, we had a red card to Anthony Martial, which changed things, but that was Eric Bay on the ball, which killed us that day. His decision-making is horrendous. It's weird. He carries himself, and I mean this 
I don't want to sound disrespectful, but he carries himself like the 10-year-old on the football pitch who knows he's the star. It's like he, he wants to prove to himself that he can dribble past people. It's like the, the, you don't play in a position on the pitch to do that. There was a time, it must be 86, 87th minute or something, he had the ball just playing out from the back, and he stood on the ball. He stood there, he must have stood on the ball for 15 seconds, just standing there looking good, a few little ball rolls. I'm screaming at the TV, can he pass the ball and get it forward? We need a score. But as you say, he was almost, okay, I'm the best player in this back four. I'm going to stand here and do this and that. I'm thinking, get the ball forward, do something with it. And I just, look, maybe a bit, bit of frustration. Look, I'm sure when Lindelof gets sort of knocked off the ball, I'll be back on Team Bay and saying he needs to play. But I just think I can see why Lindelof has trusted, uh, sorry, Solskjaer has trusted Lindelof over him. Unfortunately, I, I agree with you. But um, those three, two, ones, any order, um, I'm a bit mixed. I'd say... Well, Maddich was really yeah, good. Yeah, I'd be saying Maddich for three points and... If you put Paul Pogba next to Maddich today, yeah, I think you're looking at Maddich's performance in a whole different lens. I thought Maddich was really good. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, now, the save but Nathan Henderson, huge sort of match-winning save at the end. Now, I think if it goes in, it goes to VR and might be disallowed for offside, but let's give him the credit for a good save. Is that enough to steal the two points or was Luke Shaw probably our best outlet no it is enough for me um because the the one it was not even a criticism the one question mark over at dean henderson is can he be the manchester united goalkeeper when it's about those moments when you're dominating the ball and you just need to have high level of concentration you might be called upon to make one save and he did that today yeah and i thought you got to say united at set pieces at least look more secure with him in goal as opposed to de gea he comes off his line it's good to see yeah, no, he did do very well. So we'll go Nemanja Matic, Dean Henderson, and Luke Shaw for points. Now, you look at the patchy form we are in and the unbelievable form. It's not 21 undefeated for Manchester City. It's 21 victories in a row. Now, yes, all roads lead to a United loss and a comfortable Man City win. However, we know what football throws up. It's almost written in the stars. We're winning this match, aren't we? On Look, if United were not in the form that they've been in, I'd be all up that bandwagon, mate. But I think we're going to get battered. But look when we were 2-0 down a couple of years ago there. They had a hand on the trophy, 2-0. They were playing better football in that half than they have this season. They were fantastic in that first half. 2-0 up, we were woeful. Only City can throw away that lead. And I can just see football narratives are written like this. It's so smooth sailing. If they're going to lose this record to someone... Surely, it's going to be us. It's proven. I understand that. But the thing is, last season, right, and in my opinion, that's United's best performance under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer today. And Andy Midden thought so as well. Um, That match 2-1 in December 2019. But the thing is, even in that season, United were getting really positive results against the bigger sides. At, At that point in the season, while we were languishing in the top half, we had battered Chelsea, we had beaten Tottenham, um, we, I believe we had gone to Liverpool and gotten a draw at that point. So United had a really good record against the top sides going into that match. There was always the opportunity to... And we were a counter-attacking side. You, you move forward to this season, we haven't scored a goal in over four hours. We're not being... Our record against the top six is horrendous this season. Manchester City are scoring goals for fun. And they're just hanging in there, mate. And United, we have to say, what is that now? I think it's we've had two wins out of the last 11 games. Mm. Something like that. It, well, it's not 
boding well for United. Yeah, look, everything I've just said there is obviously tongue-in-cheek. Like, I, I don't think Man United can go and win it away at Manchester City. I think City, if they turn up, they wipe the floor with us. I'm just talking in regards to, as we've discussed in the, just throughout the podcast, in terms of a fan. It's, it's part of the football culture, I think. It's just written in the stars. If, if they're going to lose a game, it has to be at home to Man United. Like, their fans will oh, be yeah. petrified of us. Their, their fans will be absolutely look, petrified can. of us. Mate, this side is capable. It, it's not beyond the realms of belief. If Anthony Martial's fit turns up, um, and then you have that Bruno Martial magic like we saw last term, if Marcus Rashford, he's got a wonderful goal record against Manchester City, we've got the players there to do it. Um, but just I don't think the confidence is there at the moment. They must be looking at each other and wondering how are we going to score a goal. And then you go against a side who... Do Manchester City have the best, I think, best defensive record this season as well? Yeah, as and now, now they've overtaken most goals as well. We did have yeah, the most goals, but now they do. They're firing on all cylinders. This is the best they've looked in about three years, Manchester City. Well, speaking of players, um, just to wrap up the podcast then, are there any surprise selections for you for this week? If Anthony Martial's fit for me, he starts. I, I don't care who you drop, but he, for me, he has to play. Uh, look, I would probably agree a lot of people would disagree i would probably agree however i, think I dropped cavani now i think cavani's got to play and then if cavani plays i don't think well, rashford's first name on the team team sheet for solskjaer and look he does have a good record in derby so i would be playing rashford but then do you play rashford on the right hasn't quite worked mason greenwood is playing well but not sort of offering that goal threat tell us a shout dan james playing yeah yeah it's so, not a bad shout the only reason I say don't go with Cavani is because, look, he's clearly class, but I think we're going to look to counter. And if we're going to look to counter, I just don't see how Cavani complements that system. We've, we've seen the success of Martial and Rashford against Manchester City before. so. Yeah, no, well, it will be interesting. It'll be interesting. That you, I don't think he will, but if he potentially reverts back to a three, he hasn't done it for a while. But um, it will be interesting because in the big games this year, we have sort of played a lot more front foot football, which fans have asked for, but it has, the results haven't come. Where last season we played a real, let's say, negative park the bus approach in these big games, and it yielded the results. So it'll be interesting if Solskjaer reverts back to sort of a deep line, sort of low block system. But will be very interesting, and that is on a Monday, obviously, 3:30 a.m. on a Monday morning. That is what we're used to here in Sydney. So Monday night at the pub, Larry. Yeah, I'll be there. We might need to get a nice feed, mate, because I think the talking points might not be too positive. <laughs> Yeah, no, it shapes up to be an absolute nightmare of a podcast, but hopefully all our listeners have a good weekend and look forward to that podcast. Fingers crossed um, it's a little more positive than we were expecting, but hopefully everyone enjoyed that podcast, really enjoyed Andy Mitten's time and, um, yeah, definitely trying to get him on again. So make sure you go follow him and The Athletic and United We Stand fanzine, etc. And make sure you subscribe on all your podcast apps to our podcast, UTD Pubcast, and on all your social medias. And until then, Larry, see you on Monday at the pub. See you then.